Let's do it. Let's. Well, welcome back, everybody, to our uh, Thursday evening discussion on uh, the stages of our spiritual journey. The book by Ken Wabnick. Um, it's available at Foundation for A Course in Miracles, facim.org. It's a. Uh, it's about. If you download it, it's only eight bucks. It's ten bucks plus shipping if you want a hard copy. Um, I wanted to basically, since we've been away from it for two or three weeks, I wanted to review uh, kind of like the stages, just to give a quick overview, and especially the way they apply to Ken Wapnick's chart, what that looks like, um, how it's similar, how it's not so similar, what Nietzsche's doing in this story of the camel and lion and, and child. So I wanted to just briefly go over the chart. Um, the chart has, if you will, describes three realms of our experience um, in the book, in, in A Course in Miracles. And uh, the one it talks about the least is our real identity in heaven. Whatever that is, that's just the done deal. <laughs> the Course doesn't describe that very much because um, there aren't any words in heaven. <laughs> the, heaven is basically an experience of oneness, so whatever heaven is, it doesn't have words, it doesn't have time, it doesn't have space. Whatever that experience of oneness is, this is our true identity as God's Son in heaven. And then, it, of course, like I say, does not talk about that very much. The second area of our experience, which to us seems like a pretty big deal, is our experience in the world. Our experience is a body in time and space. And, and believe it or not, the... <laughs> Of course, it doesn't talk about that a whole lot either. Eh, it talks about it a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes he tells you, don't lay down when you're trying to do this stuff because you'll pass right out. <laughs> However, it's a good sleeping pill. <laughs> if you want to go to sleep really quick, just read something in the course and you'll pass right out. Or listen to Ken for about 20 minutes. I always use Ken to go to bed with. <laughs> so, um, because, you know, our ego's on a good ego day, don't want to hear this stuff. But the Course doesn't talk very much about our experience in the world, specifically. Um, and then finally, the area of experience that it does talk about is this in-between area between our experience in the world as a body and our true identity as heaven. This is what the Course is trying to get us to look at. This inner experience that the Course calls the mind. And it kind of describes three characters in that mind, if you will. That, that's part of each of us. There's the part of us uh, in the wrong mind, the part of us that's choosing separation, the Course calls that the ego. And then there's the part of us in the right mind that's choosing forgiveness, that's choosing not to take separation seriously, the Course calls that the Holy Spirit. And then finally, there seems to be like this in-between in part of us that's choosing in any given moment between the ego as our teacher, if you will, or the Holy Spirit as our teacher. The voice of separation, the ego, or the voice of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. So uh, these are the three experiences the Course talks about, and this is the one that it's really trying to get us to look at, because this is what we need to pass through this awareness and this experience here in order to get back to the gates of heaven.
And then, of course, it describes that experience as God just takes us back to heaven. And another way of looking at it is we just stop pushing heaven away. And when we totally stop pushing heaven away, then we realize we're already in heaven. We've just been pretending we're not. So anything briefly about these three thingies, <laughs> these three experiences the Course talks about? Uh, you know, I'm kind of doing this for the, uh, the recording too, just to kind of refresh people's awareness of what we're doing here and how we're taking this Nietzsche story and trying to apply it to all these three different experiences. Alrighty, so when, uh, let's see, I wanted to, as an opening meditation, look at today's, uh, well, it's today's uh, uh, workbook lesson. However, it's in the review lessons. I'm in lesson 52. I'm on page 84 in the workbook. Lesson 52, page 84, and I'm going to look at paragraph 1. And the title of today's lesson is, I am upset because I see what is not there. And like we were, we were pointing out yesterday, uh, yeah, yesterday in Osmani's class on these first few lessons, Jesus never explains what he's talking about here. <laughs> he doesn't explain why we're upset because what I see is not there. The nice thing about these review lessons, he gives us a, a bit of a glance, a, a hint, a look into the, the, the purpose of each of these titles. I'm upset because I see what is not there because I don't want to see what's truly there. And so I made something up and now I think I'm upset about that. I mean, that's one way of looking at that particular lesson title. So I'm upset because I see what is not there Meaning, I made up all these illusions in time and space as a body, and now I'm freaking out because of what other bodies are doing to my body, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. But all that's made up. So I'm upset because I see what is not there. I see all this crazy stuff I made up. That's what he's talking about. Um, reality is never frightening. Once we have a glimpse of, of what real love is, and we have that experience of allowing Jesus to love us, that's not frightening at all. But before we get to that experience, we make up all kinds of ideas about it. Like somehow it's going to take me away. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to be me anymore, little old me. And we do this all pretty unconsciously. We don't even admit that we're afraid of this experience of reality, this experience of letting Jesus love us in the moment. Because we keep running to all these meetings trying to find love. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is that's not the problem. The problem is recognizing and acknowledging there's a part of us that really does not want to experience our true reality. Because we've got ourselves afraid of it even though we don't know what it is. It's an acute ego trick that we all do to ourselves. So reality itself is never frightening. The experience of love is not, isn't frightening. It's wonderful. <laughs> when, we, you know, when we have the experience of letting Jesus love, love us in any given moment, it's a very, very, very wonderful, warm experience. So re reality is never frightening. It is impossible that it could upset me. The experience of true love is not upsetting. Reality, that experience of, of love, 
brings only perfect peace. So when I am upset, it's always because I have replaced my true reality as love with illusions I made up. That's the whole story of the chart. We make up a separate identity from God. We're often running with that. We don't want to let that separate identity go, and we blame the world for our lack of peace. Boom, boom, boom. I've replaced reality with illusions I made up. The illusions are upsetting because I have given them reality. And then I believe they're real. So, of course, I'm kind of freaked out, feeling like the shoe's going to be you know, the other shoe's going to drop in any given moment because what I made up, part of me knows isn't real. And I'm hanging on to it like it's my lifeblood, like it's my true identity. And at any point, if I let Jesus love me, I'll realize that's not my true identity. And then poor little ego me is going to evaporate back into the nothingness from which it came. So these illusions are upsetting because I have given them reality and I'm clinging to that reality. I'm insisting that's what I am. And then, and thus, the end of line six, and thus regard reality, real, true reality, our true identity is love. I thus regard reality as an illusion. I think Jesus is pulling my leg in this course. I don't think, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to think that I really am a being of love. And then line seven, nothing, nothing in God's creation is affected in any way by this confusion of mine. <laughs> nothing happened. All this illusion is just that. It's all made up. It's not real. It's not who we truly are. And we're trying to get in touch with that. Um, nothing in God's creation is affected in any way by this confusion of mine. And then, therefore, what I do get upset about is really nothing. Everything I get upset about are all the illusions I made, and they're really nothing. Now, we can't, I mean, we could go around saying that I, I get upset by nothing. But since we don't believe it, <laughs> part, part of lesson five is, no, this ain't nothing. I'm upset for the reason I think. No, I'm not. I'm never upset for the reason I think. I think these, these so-called illusions are very real and they have an, an extreme effect on me and they're making me upset. But really, lesson five is saying I'm never upset by anything because it's all nothing. I'm not upset for the reason I think. I made nothing into something and that's what I'm freaked out about. So that's the metaphysics. And Jesus wants to take us through, through the steps in the Course to wake up to that's what we're doing to ourselves. Realize the cost, the price we're paying for that, and then, okay, ask him for a way out of it. Ask him to help us see things differently the way he does. Being motivated to do that. So any, any thoughts or in, questions or insights about any of that so far? Alrighty. Lisa. You want to read that uh, number, uh, paragraph, well, it's paragraph one, lesson six, and then we'll get quiet for a little bit. Thanks. Sure. I am upset because I see what is not there. Reality 
is never frightening. It is impossible that it could upset me. Reality brings only perfect peace. When I am upset, it is always because I have replaced reality with illusions I made up. The illusions are upsetting because I have given them reality and thus regard reality as an illusion. Nothing in God's creation is affected in any way by this confusion of mine. I am always upset by nothing. Thanks, thanks, Lisa. And we'll get quiet for a little bit. And gently, gently come back. So I just wanted to run through this just so that when we start putting these animals up all over the place, you, you know, you get an idea because, well, everybody here is really pretty much familiar with this chart and the way it works at this point. Um, if you're not that familiar with it, I and mean, if you're hearing this recording for the first time, you really want to just turn the turn the whatever you're watching off <laughs> and go watch it if this if the chart if you're not familiar with the chart you really want to be at least familiar with these th three areas of experience that the course talks about and how they we move from here to here and then how we get back or this whole camel lion child thing isn't going to make a whole lot of sense the chart's confusing enough not because it's confusing, it's just we don't, as healthy egos, we don't want to know what it's saying. We don't want to understand it. <laughs> we don't want to see the simplicity of salvation, chapter 31. That these steps are, are not only simple, but we don't even have to do them. We just have to invite the Holy Spirit to help us do them. So, yeah, if, you, if you're not familiar with the chart now, just go listen to a, any of the four or five <laughs> recordings we have on the chart and then come back and listen to the rest of this. Otherwise, it, it, it get, it's going to get really confusing really fast. Okay, that being said, one of the big, probably the, one of the main ideas that Ken Wapnick added to the whole Course in Miracles is this idea of the decision maker, that there's a, a part of us internally that he gave the name decision maker too that chooses between in any given moment between the ego as our identity or the Holy Spirit as our, our, our identity. And so this, this Charlie, the chooser, chooser, the decision maker, at least in terms of uh, Nietzsche's story, Nietzsche calls that spirit. <laughs> so when, when, when you see the word spirit in, in, 
Nietzsche's little story in all in the in the context of 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 this child lion, uh, or rather camel lion child that Nietzsche takes us through. He he says spirits going through all that. From the chart's point of view, he's talking about the decision maker. From the course's point of view, spirit, the way it's used, is the decision maker. So just kind of keep that in mind. When you see Nietzsche using the word spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about our true identity as God. He's talking about this, this part of us that's choosing to go through these three stages. On the chart, it's the decision maker that's choosing to believe it's a body and then choosing to first, well, first choosing to believe it's an ego identity and then that gets projected on the body. It's the decision maker doing that. It's, in Nietzsche's terms, it's really this thing he's calling spirit. It's choosing to believe it's a body and then the whole concept of dragon and then lion is when uh, we realize we are a decision maker and we'll get to that in a second and then finally the child is over here is is pretty much synonymous with the holy spirit so spirit choosing decision maker choosing to believe it's going through these stages so the first stage from a course's point of view anyway is when we make up this experience of the wrong mind, this experience of separation, and we give it a name. Well, the Course gave it a name. <laughs> we don't know, as, as egos, we don't even want to remember what we call it. <laughs> but the Course calls it the ego. From the Course's point of view, what Nietzsche's talking about is the dragon. The dragon really is the ego. The ego really is the dragon, and then that dragon gets reflected into the world as kind of a, a reflection of the dragon. <laughs> so the, the real, quote-unquote, real dragon's up here. It's the wrong mind. It's the ego. But then the world, which reflects this dragon, this is the dragon that Nietzsche's talking about. The Course talks about, if it was using the word dragon, it's saying the wrong mind is the dragon. And then the reflection of that in the world is a dragon too. Nietzsche left this part out. <laughs> he left out the dragon being the ego. So the way Nietzsche is described in the world is this dragon here. But all this dragon here is, from the Course's point of view, is this dragon. So meaning something like this. So internally we choose to believe in the ego let's call it the first dragon and then rather than let that go rather than let go of separation we make up this whole story about the dragon called sin guilt and fear the dragon sinned the dragon's guilty the dragon should be punished and then rather than let that go we project all that into the world and we say nah i didn't do it the world really sinned the world's really guilty. The world should be punished. And in that sense, this dragon, this world, this thing that seems to be oppressing us is really simply a reflection of our own oppression in our mind. 
if that's not clear, you kind of have to sit with that for a little bit. It's not a, a big leap, <laughs> but it is a leap, especially the way that Nietzsche's talking about it. He's not talking about this one. But the Course is definitely talking about, yeah, there's a dragon in the world, but that dragon is simply a reflection of our wrong mind, the dragon in our wrong mind. So is that, is that okay so far? <laughs> you okay with that, Chris? <laughs> oh, <sh> <laughs> I was feeling a little bogged down there for a second, but <laughs> just, yeah, just be nice and smile and nod, even if it's not no, clear. Chris, crystal clear, crystal clear. <laughs> oh, I Chris, like the pictures. Chris clear. All right. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> I like concept maps like this. Great. Oh, okay. I got more. I got more. Wait, I got two more. <laughs> oh, good. Good. <laughs> so Pictures over words. Yeah. <laughs> my whole life's a picture. So when we identify with a body in the world, that's what Nietzsche calls camel time. We're a camel moving through the dragon, through this experience of the dragon, through this experience of the world. I'm a body moving through the world. I'm a camel moving through the world. And camels do things. They're beasts of burden. They take, they work. <laughs> you know, they, they take care of, you know, they eat, they drink, they, they, they carry things, they work. And so Nietzsche's idea of us as a body, he calls a camel. When, when the decision maker chooses the ego and then that gets projected into the world, the, the decision maker is choosing to be a body. In Nietzsche's terms, it's the spirit as decision maker is choosing to believe it's a camel, a beast of burden in the world. And then, and then, in terms of Nietzsche's uh, uh, story of this ex expanding awareness, if you will, of the way when we begin to step back and we see we're moving through these stages, he calls that beginning awareness the lion. When I begin to realize that the only common denominator in all this crazy stuff in the world is me, and not me as a body, but me as a dis internal decision maker, when I begin to wake up to that, that I am a decision maker and I do have a choice, Nietzsche calls that the lion. I will choose something different. I will. And the I will part is maybe I could choose to be something else and not this separated identity called the ego or called the dragon. So when we begin to realize maybe I'm not a camel and everything I've done as a camel is not making me happy, that experience is what Nietzsche is describing as the lion. And in terms of the chart, it's when we begin to realize we are a decision maker with a choice and maybe, maybe, maybe there's another way of looking at this. Maybe I could choose something else besides what I've been choosing. So, and then finally, the, the icing on the cake, at least in terms of Nietzsche's story, is when we, chart-wise, begin to identify with the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit for help, then we realize our true identity as an innocent child. And that's the experience that the Course calls the wrong mind, the experience of the wrong mind, the experience with the Holy Spirit, that's the innocence of the capital C child. So it's basically, once again, it's spirit 
choosing to believe it's a camel, then realizing that maybe I'm not, I'm never happy at all, and then it becomes a lion that maybe I could choose something else, and then finally what I do choose is this, the child. So anything about any of that? We've kind of been going over this for the last few weeks, but I just thought it'd be um, helpful just to refresh <laughs> what these things are and how they apply to the chart. Alrighty. Let's see. Um, wanted to look in here. Stages of our spiritual journey. I'm on page 80. And, uh, I, I don't know, Kent spends like, I don't know, 40, 50 pages on this lion thing. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of doing a summary, I can't, I can't cover, obviously, all those 40, 50 pages, but I can cover a summary <laughs> of what's happening here in, in less than, than, a, than a half hour, hopefully. So, I'm on, in the summary, um, does anybody have a Kindle version of this? Abe. You want to give for the record for the recording what what wh how how do you find it in Kindle? What page is it? <laughs> the summary on page eighty. Oh, you're on mute, Abe. Let me find it first, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> so it's it's in chapter four, and somewhere it's after the set. Oh, I don't know where it's at. Location six thirty six. It's after, it's after 5-8. Well, anyway, when you find it, Abe. Location 636. 636? Location, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Thanks. I, I have no idea what that means, but I, <laughs> I trust Abe. <laughs> so if you got a Kindle version, that might help. All righty. So summary in my book on page 80. And, Abe, you want to read a, a paragraph or two of that summary, please? Okay. The first two? Sure, why not? All right. The framework for our discussion has been the spiritual journey, a journey that begins in what appears to be a very non-spiritual place, learning how to live in the world and adjust to it. We embrace worldly values only so that when we reach middle age and are reasonably mature, whatever our chronological age, we can understand that the world does not make sense and lacks all value because it does not give gives us the peace of God. If something does not lead us to the peace of God, the only true value, how could it possibly be of any value to us? The first stage, what Nietzsche refers to as the camel, consists of humbly assuming the burden of being in the world physically and psychologically mastering the art of survival. This is uh, no mean feat. We do not have to live perfectly, but we need to live with sincerity. A Hindu tradition holds that a man raises and supports his family, and when the children are grown, leaves to pursue his spiritual path. I am not sure where that leaves his wife. But that is another issue. <laughs> in a sense, this tradition is referring to the camel, that we master living in the world as we develop a sense of self. And then we move on. 
Thus, as camels, we say yes to the world, believing that it is meaningful and will bring us what we want. Only step back, look at our lives, and then say that we no longer desire his gifts. Come and say. Yeah, I mean, this is just a good description of my life, you know, and I think most of our lives, we keep looking for for things in the world that will satisfy this hunger that we have for peace and, and love, you know, and we feel like we're lacking that. And we just keep looking at it, you know, we have a better job, more money, travel, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's certainly, you know, it's, it's the point after, um, and he talks about this, Helen and Bill, you know, they became professors, they were psychologists, they, you know, they had their degrees and, and they taught and they, you know, they did what they did. They had, you know, relationships, family, etc. And, um, and they had all that going on. And then finally, Bill kind of expresses to Helen, that's just not enough. That ain't working. And worse, we just keep constantly backstabbing each other and all this gossip we're doing in this psychology department where they both worked. And then, and then Helen is the lion agrees with Bill, the lion that, yeah, there must be a better way. And why don't we find it together? There must be a better way. That's what, that's kind of like the first affirmation, if you will, of the lion. There's gotta be another way of doing this. There's gotta be something else I can try because what I'm doing ain't working. And I seem to be doing everything right. I got my degree. I got a job. I got a family. It's a, you know, it's the talking head song, <laughs> letting the days go by. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> this is not my beautiful house. <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. You got to like the talking heads. <laughs> Some of us do, but yeah, it's a great song. But I mean, that's, that's what the cat, that's what the lion says. Something's wrong with this picture. It, it just, it, everything I worked to do didn't work. Alrighty. Thanks. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Abe. Uh, next couple of paragraphs. Chaz, you got a book? Oh, okay. You're bookless. Okay. You just listened. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> you're not a sinner yet. <laughs> nah, we're all sinners. We're just not real. That's all. <laughs> Arise, you want to read some? Please. Sure. <clears throat> the second metamorphosis occurs when we finally open our eyes and realize we are in a desert in which nothing grows and that there's no hope of anything meaningful occurring here. We thereby declare that there must be another way, another teacher or another symbol we can relate to. At this point then, our self, our spirit, is transformed into a lion. <coughs> what heretofore had been valued is now, is now seen to be valueless. Again, and most importantly, this second stage will make no sense unless we have gone through the first stage. Another paragraph? Yeah, please. The questioning of values which occurs in the mind can come in different forms. Does not necessarily involve <coughs> changing our behavior or roles as we have seen. It does not mean that we walk out on a job or abandon our vocation and family. This transformation of values might begin by questioning what we are hearing from elected public officials, the news media, 
or what we listen to in a synagogue on Saturday or church on Sunday. The same words we have been hearing for years no longer ring true. We question our primary relationships, indeed all relationships, seeing how they were built on bargains of specialness. We begin to realize that something is rotten in the state of our household or business and increasingly become aware of the specialness values we had embraced, not seeing the ego thought system lurking behind what we thought of as lovely love or duty. Therefore, these relationships were not truly loving or happy-making. Instead, they were vehicles to maintain the judgments that anchored us still further in the world of illusion. Comments? Well, yeah, just exactly where we're all coming from, sounds like. <laughs> it's where I'm coming from. Got to find a better way. There's same old, same old isn't getting at me, getting me anywhere. Right. And a, a lot of us have been working this for a while. And, um, and, uh, and I think one of the stages, kind of a sub-stage of the camel, um, when we begin to realize uh, that all the values we had in the world were really a setup to, to keep us stuck in the world and blaming people <laughs> because they violated our values. Now, how stupid is it to want to do that? <laughs> so, I mean, after a while, even intellectually, we begin to world, realize the world is nothing. And then we want to get mad at it. And, and I think that's sort of a substage in, in moving from the camel to the lion is we, we move through this period of almost depression, anger, if you will. I want to quit. I ain't doing this stupid stuff anymore. <laughs> it's meaningless. Why should I do it? Why should I work? <laughs> why should I, you know, it's like everything is nothing, not, you know, nothing, nothing. And so why am I doing it? And, and that's when it's, I think, is, is a huge learning opportunity to take the next step, which is ask Jesus to look at that anger and realize, why am I getting upset about nothing? Do it or don't do it, but what am I getting upset about? And so I, I think it's a not so subtle trip, trip, trick of the ego, if you will, when we're in that stage and we're feeling either depressed or angry or both. That depression and that anger is really pointing the finger at the world and saying the world is doing this to me. And I'm still feeling like a victim of the world. I feel like a victim of my job. I feel like a victim of this, this curse where I'm, I keep having to repeat all these things that don't mean anything over and over again. And I'm upset about it. But once again, we're never upset for the reason we think. <laughs> so I think, especially in those moments, the way out of it is to make it about the other guy ken seven little word mantra if you will make it about the other guy just pick somebody you're having a problem with and and start praying not for them not that they have a nice nice life and, and you know they get everything they want <laughs> that's don't do that <laughs> but start praying that you see them this person you have an issue with the way jesus does that's what making about the other guy means. I'm willing to see everybody involved in my job one by one. I'm willing to see everybody 
involved that I have a relationship with, even my not so beautiful house, even my, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever relationship I'm having that doesn't feel so beautiful right this second, ask Jesus for help to see that person or thing the way he does. And in doing that, we lighten up. We lighten up on the anger, we lighten up on the depression, and we begin to move from the camel to the lion. Because when we get mad at something, we make it very real. Jesus isn't saying, don't get mad. When we get depressed about something, we make that thing very real. We say it's real and it has an effect on us. Once again, he's saying, don't walk around you know, denying you're depressed. Don't deny you're angry. But take that thing with all those people involved in it, and one at a time, ask me, Jesus, to help you see all those people in that situation the way he does. Make it about the other guy that way. And then, we, you know, every time we do that, we don't stay so stuck in that, in moving from the hopelessness of the camel to a willingness, and that, in that sense, the true willingness to see our brothers a different way ultimately see ourselves a different way. Does that make sense at all? Or anybody want to argue with that? <laughs> or, yeah. Is that, is that an affirmation or you want to comment, Chris? Well, you can also say that about yourself, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Help me, help me see myself like uh, sure. Jesus would see me. But it does sound like Ken usually says, uh, make it about the other guy because i usually think it's about me but then when i'm kind of reflecting a little more or driving in the car or you know there's a lot of times where everybody's upsetting me for no good reason <laughs> but when i try to sit and do a little mind searching or reflecting it's like no i'm not i'm not too mad at anybody really uh but i, I don't know i just have to get out in the world for it to happen i guess you know out of my meditative state or whatever. You've been robbed. It does happen. <laughs> <laughs> they rob me. Time, my... It's things that don't work. I get, could you use things that don't work as well as the other guy? Oh yeah, sure. Well, behind everything that doesn't work, there's usually a face. So it's, it's always about the other guy. <laughs> Somebody's whoever doing that, it. Whoever made that thing, they made it wrong. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's good. Thanks, Chris. Lynn Altman. Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to apply this to this particular point, but I'm really struck for myself about how um, there's a real um, difficult or a cross purpose in that, okay, the, the ideal is to bring everything back to our mind and Asked to see our brother the way Jesus sees him. But when my main goal is to not do that so that I can keep on having the sense of self, I, I don't ask. I can't ask. It's, it's, it's contra it contradicts what I deeply, deeply want that I'm not aware of yet. So I'm, I'm just really struck by how there's a part of this process that I'm finding for myself that it's almost like I've had to get to the point of realizing that what I need to know, and Ken talks about over and over and over again, I need to know how much I don't want 
to have my, I don't want to have Jesus correct my mind. I don't want the Holy Spirit to show me what's the truth because that will undo me. And, and to become, um, to have that be okay, to be in that stage, uh, it's, it's all, and, and maybe that's, that is, I think that's what the lion is, is being able to have the sort of the strength of will to look at how oppositional I am to what Jesus is trying to teach me. Because, you know, I, I, I was going to say until recently, it feels like I have so much shame about that, so much guilt, so much judgment about how ridiculous I'm being or how stupid or how selfish, whatever all those things are. At the same time, this kind of unconscious drive to keep my identity is running amok. And so, I, I mean, I guess I just... I just needed to say that out loud that I'm finding a, a level of peace about, okay, this, of saying, okay, this is where I am. I have this resistance and I also have a goal of somehow learning how to move beyond it, but that's the process. And, and this stage is really crucial. It's like, I'm done with the camel, you know, in terms of uh, a, a goal but I'm still deeply embedded in the whole mechanism of the cam camel. So anyway, I don't know if that makes any sense, but somehow for me to move beyond feeling mad at myself or guilty about how much I am resisting where I'm trying to go is, is really crucial. So, yeah, um, I, I've looked at that over the years and, and um, heard, heard myself talk about that process. So it's a huge first step to realize and to begin to even intellectually accept I'm not upset for the reason I think. Uh, I think I'm upset because I'm a camel in the world and, you know, the, the whole world's backfiring on my poor camelhood. And then, it, you know, at some point it, it certainly becomes sort of obvious, even intellectually, that if I'm fighting with the world, I'm just making it more real. And so, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a healthy state to realize maybe the world isn't real. And maybe I'm not upset for the reason I think. Uh, I remember Ken saying to me when I brought up this issue, <laughs> kind, of, kind of felt insulted when he said it. <laughs> he said, I said, well, I know, you know, I'm in, I know that nothing in the world means anything. And I know I'm making it all up. And then I know I'm... I'm playing the role of, of being a victim. And, but I don't feel like asking the Holy Spirit for help. <laughs> and then Ken said to me, well, I feel sorry for you then. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks a lot, Ken. <laughs> it made me feel worse now. <laughs> so like, like, but I mean, yeah, it's an in-between place, but we don't want to stop. I mean, we can, and, and, you know, it's like, how long do we want to stay there is becomes a question because at some point I begin to realize there's a way out of this place. I know I'm in this place and I know I feel angry and I know I feel or and or depressed, but the only way out of it is actually trying the process. Step, you know, step five is, yeah, I'm not upset for the reason I think and everything in the world is just nothing. But then step two in the process is I could see peace instead of this if 
if I ask for help. So if I don't move to that, I might not know what the help's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to feel like. But until I kind of move internally into that place of being open-handed and allowing the process to continue, you know, I'm still going to pay to play because I'm choosing still to make the world very real. I'm making the anger real, the depression real, the stuck feeling very real. So, so yeah, I, I think it, it's a huge progress <laughs> to realize that's what's happening. But, uh, you know, like on a good Holy Spirit day, we don't want to stay there very long anyway till we move on. Irene, you had your hand up. Thanks, Lynn. Um, yes, it, it, it kind of has, has struck me as I'm reading this. And I think Ken talks about developmental stages that we have to go through on the first half of our lives, um, really. And it seems to me it requires a mature camel to be able to say there must be another way. You know, so there is that, I think, going through it, growing up, if you will, the camel and then realizing, well, there's something, there's got to be something else. Um, but I just wanted to throw that in because I think we, it sounds like we denigrate the camel a bit, but it's the process that we have to go through in growing up to become the lion, in, in my perspective. Mm -hmm. that way, yeah. my understanding. <clears throat> yeah, and then even, and, you know, it, it gets kind of, uh, I don't know, confusing, I guess, because we talk about a mature camel, like, well, if the camel wasn't real, <laughs> how can it, you know, but I mean, the gist of it being what I think what Irene's saying is we have to, and, and it doesn't have to be legal. <laughs> it doesn't have to be the way the world sees it. We all choose to be camels in our own way. We all, you know, figure out how to hustle and bargain and compromise in, for most of us, in legal ways, but sometimes not so legal ways. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the best drug addicts I ever saw on the street, they could hustle and, and keep a $100 a day habit going. So they were pretty mature about <laughs> how to get and hustle and get what they think th they thought they needed in order to have a few seconds of, of respite. But, so, I mean, it was, it, was, uh, it was maturity in the sense of I did everything I thought I could do to make myself happy and it's not working. Well, and wouldn't you say, though, in the process of recovering, you're doing a really mature process with, for instance, 12 steps or, or whatever. So I think that actually fits in there, too. Yeah. I'm just thinking of Helen and Bill, too. They were too mature. And mature, you know, use it in whatever, um, however, you know, in, a, in an open, generalized sense um, with that. But, but we're in the classroom. And this is where we begin. And this is how we're downloaded. Mm. And then we go, hmm. And we start realizing it's a download, a faulty download. Hey, you know, we all get really good at making special relationships to get what we think we need. And ultimately, all those special relationships are all hustles. Right. I mean, we're, we're trying to hustle the other person. We don't call it that. We don't want it to look that ugly. But that's what I mean. A good bargain is a good hustle. 
Yeah. So yeah, and maturity in the sense that I've learned the system. I know how to make it at least work for me. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Irene. Stephen. Um, yeah, we're the blessed ones. Uh, we're the uh, um, we're the fortunate uh, the fortunate the for, uh, fortunate sons, according to uh, John Fogarty. Uh, but we 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 uh, we have a we found a path to the truth. We found the path to freedom. That's what this is. But almost all of us, and I know this because I experienced it uh, on several occasions um, as I was doing the lion and, and, uh, and especially the lion part with the camel. I think almost all of us become just, just resigned. We just get resigned to serving our time. And, you know, that's kind of the sad part uh, of this. Uh, so, so many, a huge majority uh, in the world. Uh, that's what we do. You know, we get to we get to sixty, and we say, "Well, that's all over." You know, and so, so even if we live to be eighty-five, next twenty-five years, we're just kind of sitting on a couch. You know, and uh, that's the. Uh, I, I, I wish I wish this would uh, expand to a larger group, but uh, it will. I give it a thousand, <laughs> two thousand years, something like that. <laughs> hey, wait a minute! This is a larger group. <laughs> it's way larger than anything we had a year and a half ago. <laughs> so I, I'm really optimistic, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Stephen. Alrighty, uh, <laughs> let's go back to the book. <laughs> Anybody remember? Aris, did you leave off? Where were you? I was at um, page 82 at the end of the first paragraph. So we'll oh, good. Thank, thanks, Aris. Very good. All right. Lisa Roberts, you want to read a couple, please? Okay. And so we question, beginning with whatever level we find comfortable, what is important is that we realize that in questioning something external, a relationship or job, our views on illness, politics, economics, etc. We are but reflecting our mind's decision. If we do not bring what we are experiencing back within, we will not be able to learn and practice what Jesus is teaching us in this course. To be sure, we have to pay attention to our experiences in the world as bodies, but only insofar as they lead us to what is going on in our minds. The world you see, the outside picture of an inward condition. Keep going. Yeah, one more. Sure. Okay. Oh, okay. This is a long one. <laughs> this is why it is so important to remember that, that the special relationship is not truly between us and another, but always between our decision maker and the ego. Hmm. Similarly, the holy relationship occurs only when our decision maker has chosen Jesus as its teacher. What we experience as a special or holy relationship between bodies is simply a projection in form of a decision we made to be wrong or right-minded. There is therefore only one special relationship and only one holy relationship. Again, all external relationships, body to body, are merely projections from the ego, 
or reflections from the Holy Spirit of the mind's choice. As we begin to question the value of relationships, we, come, we become aware of the bargains we have made with others, whether it be personal or work-related relationships or ones existing in our imagination between ourselves and the public officials. The good news is that the fact that we question a relationship is already saying that we are looking with open eyes at the value we had placed on the mind's relationship with the ego. Any thoughts, Lise? Well, yeah, my thoughts uh, are that in all our relationships, you know, in all my relationships, um, what's reflecting back to my mind is uh, the value that I'm placing on that person. And it always comes back to value related. And um, what is the value or the purpose of the relationship? Does it serve me as, uh, as an ego? Or does it serve me as a holy relationship with Jesus? And uh, that's always what I have to ask my higher mind, my decision maker, how will this relationship serve me, serve my mind? Um, and, and I think when I do that, I'm walking it back to my mind and I'm looking at this from, you know, above the battleground. You know, I'm not, I'm looking at it, not in the ego, but above the battleground. Um, uh, just, just to um, experience whatever it is that my, my eyes are seeing in the world um, uh, through, through a choice of which teacher do I want to see this, this person or this situation with. And, um, you know, when I'm not blindsided uh, by something that happens in the world, uh, then I'm able to do that. Then I'm able to walk it back to my mind and, um, look at a relationship or a situation objectively. But, uh, you know, when I'm blindsided by a situation that happens, um, and, and it could be anything. It could be, you know, uh, maybe it's somebody who pushes a shopping cart into my car or something, you know, uh, something like that. You don't expect it. And that's when the ego, boy, it's just, it, it, is right there, you know, it's right there to uh, punish that person. Um, and fortunately, you know, that doesn't happen as much as it used to since I've been studying the course. You know, I can, it's easier for me to step back and look uh, now, uh, but but I still do get blindsided periodically. And, and then I know it's coming from the ego. So it's pretty clear. Um, thanks, Tim. Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks, Lisa. Um, yeah, sir, in my experience with the course, in, in my own experience, and certainly in 12 steps too, I mean, when, when it, it feels like, it looks like, you know, something happened and, and I got blindsided and suddenly the ego is, is kind of 
biting me in the butt, if you will. <laughs> but that the situation seems to be causing me to go off. But if I'm honest about it, I mean, I'm already off. <laughs> and I just use that experience to kind of go off and prove to myself that, you know, it is not, it was the shopping cart. It wasn't that I chose separation and the ego and all this stuff that led up to that didn't really happen. It was the shopping cart or it was somebody being not very um, careful <laughs> and I got hurt or my car got hurt. So, yeah, and blindside is a good, you know, I mean, it's not even blind. It's not blinded on the side. It's like this. When I'm in ego mode, I'm blind to your innocence and I'm blind to my own innocence. And I'll find all kinds of shopping carts, even if they don't happen. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll find them. I realized that Tuesday morning, I was feeling like a victim. And then it just exponentially expanded <laughs> for about two hours before I finally asked for help. <laughs> it, it got really bad. And I was driving, <laughs> which isn't good for the other drivers, much less for me. Because <laughs> I was looking for some, I was daring people to victimize me on the road. I didn't consciously admit that, but that's what was going on. Oh, please cut me off so I can hate you. <laughs> so I can follow you up the road and cut you off. <laughs> or maybe I'll just cut you off before you cut me off, because I can tell you're going to try to cut me off. <laughs> so, I mean, when I'm in victim mode, <laughs> it, it's serious victim mode. <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, it looks like somebody cut me off and blindsided me, but nah, I was, I was looking for it. I was ready for it. I was wanting it to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Lisa. Alrighty. Dave Dempsey, you want to read some? Please. Yes, we are at, we can now understand, right? Yes, I think so. Okay. And you can hear my sound okay? It's a little low, but I'll turn you up. <laughs> no, I can get in here. Okay. All right. That better? Okay. Now we can understand that before Helen and Bill had their fateful encounter that concluded with their agreeing to find another way, they both had made a decision in their minds to set aside their ego and not value its offerings of conflict, anger, judgment, and misery. This decision express, expressed itself in terms of their discussion because Helen and Bill believed they were bodies having a relationship with each other. However, their being able to shift their purpose and to join together to find another way was the result of their having first made the choice within. Once again, we see the external as the means of returning to the internal. Revisiting the passage that is parallel to what was quoted above, we read that perception is an inward picture of a wish, an image that you wanted to be true. Keep going. Uh, no, that next one's too long. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, I've really been vigilant here lately about watching my thoughts. And I'm keeping it very simple because, you know, the 12 steps taught me that I can make things very special and unique, and I'm really good at that. Um, but I just have to keep it simple, stupid. And, you know, after reading uh, Ken's book, Taking the Ego Lightly, that the, the tiny mad idea that we can, that um, 
time can circumvent eternity. And that's the tiny mad idea that separation can circumvent love. And it's just that simple. And so when I drop the Holy Spirit's hand and join with the ego, I generally don't feel very good. And I find myself defending myself. And it happened today, but now I understand the appreciation for our brother part because we were getting ready to go grocery shopping and Lisa goes, do you want to get some sweet potatoes? Are you going to have sweet potatoes? And I said, I don't know. We'll just get them. It's not like they go bad. <laughs> and she goes, oh, yes, they do. And then I started, well, not that fast, you know? And I said, why do you always have to be right? And in that moment, because I've been watching my thoughts, it was not her that had to be right. It was me. And I was in ego mode, defending myself. And all I had to think to myself was, time can't circumvent eternity. This is just my dream. And I was so thankful because she showed me, now I know I need to watch that I want to control everything. And when I see myself doing that, that's a sure sign that I've dropped Holy Spirit. And the only thing he's doing is sitting on my shoulder laughing, going, so you still think that time can circumvent eternity? Well, ha, 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 it can't. And you can keep banging your head along against the wall all you want, but eventually maybe you'll give that up. And then I just want to say one other thing, because I want to thank you. You know, when I read this part about how it says middle age in our 40s, well, I didn't start getting this crap till I was in my 60s. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe I'm going to live to be 130 and I'm just halfway through. <laughs> but then what I realized was 20 years ago, I was the most angry person for about 20 years. So I think I had reached that point, but I didn't know where to turn. So I was a man without a country. And like Stephen said, how blessed are we to have found a path out? I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, I just go back to that very part early in the first chapter in the book where Jesus is telling us that you can choose your kingdom. But before you do that, you'd be well to think spirit is in a state of grace forever. You are only spirit. Therefore, in a state of grace forever. And I think that's where that abstraction of mind comes in, that allowing myself to be that. And I've gotten to a point where I'm outside that dream a lot. I'm just laughing at all the stuff that I'm doing and other people are doing. And I'm just chuckling, going along thinking, yeah, well, that's what we're all thinking. We're all trying to have time circumvent eternity separation we would try to replace it for love and we just can't do it and so what i've learned through this whole lesson is i gotta quit looking out and i gotta be looking in with everything i have to be looking in and that's where the answer is that's where holy spirit is that's where and every time i take instead of dragging the illusion into the you know the truth into the illusion every time i take the truth is the illusion to the truth, he's sitting on my shoulder laughing, going, yeah, you're still trying to have time circumvent eternity. Have fun. And it, it's really just been kind of like amazing that 
when you can step back and see the world that way. Not that I don't do it. I just have to pay attention to it. And I think Ken tells us it's not that we have to have, we can, not to have judgments. We're going to have judgments. I just don't have to be invested in them. I can just see, oh, you're just making yourself crazy. You know? So yeah, I mean, this is great stuff. So thank you. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, David. Um, I mean, it does get pretty funny when you think time has come to circumvent a sweet potato, for God's sake. I mean, whatever it is specific I'm using, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> or, 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 yeah, right, whatever it is. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's got nothing to do with the sweet potato. It's just got to do with me wanting to be right, me being in control. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and blaming somebody else. Right. For, for being wrong, time has come to circumvent my wife because she's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and then she finishes up. She goes into the pantry and gets a sweet potato that's rotten and brings it out and goes, see, they do go rotten. And I was able to just laugh and go, you know what? You're right. And that was the end of it. So it was just funny. It's like, <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> that's good. Thank you. <laughs> you didn't make you eat it, did you? <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'll let you know later. <laughs> I had a blackout after that. <laughs> oh, that's good. She may have to get eaten. <laughs> To, to look at this uh, anger issue, and, and certainly depression could be in there, I wanted to um, jump back to page 53. And this is, once again, it's in chapter 4, but it's, it's where he's talking about I will, the spirit, the lion, the dragon. And um, this is right after, on page 53, at least in my book, it's after, in bold it says, an animal covered with scales, talking about the dragon, and on every scale of the dragon shines a golden thou shalt. Once again, that's a reflection of our own internal thou shalts. Thou shalt be separate. Thou shalt sin. Thou shalt be guilty. I mean, internally, those are the thou shalts. And then they get expressed unto the world. Like, yeah, that thou shalt, the other guy's guilty. <laughs> and I need to deal with that. The other guy's a sinner. And I need to deal with that. So, but he's talking about anger here. And I, I, it was like, I didn't even want to cover this paragraph because every line is so heavy duty. I mean, this paragraph where he's describing, he says, this is the golden gleam of the ego, the seduction of specialness. Once again, I'm on page 53. Within which the world entraps us. It is a difficult stage because now we have to say that everything we have learned and have become is simply not true. It's not working. I don't feel good. And then he says, the major challenge of this transition, the major challenge of this transition is to be able to exert this will to power without anger or attack. And that, that I, there's the rub. How in the hell do I do that? Because I want to make, I want... <laughs> Somebody was telling me the other night, you know, tell me I, I can quit. <laughs> Just tell me I can leave. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Just somebody tell me what to do or not to do. <laughs> but, that, you know, all that, all that frustration and all that anger and all that, like, uh, making it about behavior keeps me stuck in anger, keeps me stuck in attack or 
and at its worst, it keeps me depressed. None of this is working. What well, was set up not to work, for God's sake. So it's, it's like the major challenge of this transition from the camel to the lion is to look at this nothingness without anger and without being depressed and without attack. And the only way I know how to do that is to ask Jesus for help with everybody involved in the situation. It's a question of perception. How am I seeing them in any given moment? How, I, how am I seeing myself? When uh, Bill Wilson was starting the 12 Steps way back when, 1935 or whatever, and he, and he had gone to Ohio, and uh, he was getting ready to drink. Things weren't, well, he was being called to drink, and he didn't want to drink. So he gets on the phone, and he calls all these churches, and finally this lady hooks him up and with the last dime he has, of course, with some woman that knows an alcoholic who's been trying to stop drinking, is Dr. Bob. So, Dr. so Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, they started this whole thing together. So this woman hooks up Bill when he's about ready to drink with Dr. Bob, or at least he's thinking about it. And then, and then <laughs> it's, it's a great story. So Bill Wilson goes over to see Dr. Bob and says, and says to, uh, Bill says to Bob, uh, well, first Bob says to Bill, I I've tried stop drinking. Don't even try to talk me out of drinking. It's not going to happen. And Bill says, <laughs> this is really good. Bill says to Dr. Bob, I'm not here to get you to stop drinking. I'm here to talk to you so I don't drink. And, and basically, he was inviting Dr. Bob to help him not drink, which I think is what we're trying to do with each other all the time. Please help me not see I'm crazy. Please help me to see I'm still loved. Please help me to see I'm still the son of God. Show me, show me that in you, and I'll see it in me. I don't even remember why I brought that up. <laughs> Had something to do with something. <laughs> but it's a great story. <laughs> it, it's all about you know this willingness to. I mean, we're not trying to change each other. We're asking each other for help. Help me see the way Jesus sees. Help me see you the way God sees you. Help me see me the way God sees me. So anyway, and, and I think that pulls the anger on it. That makes it about the other guy in that way, in terms of reception. Help me see me the way God sees me. That's what Bill was saying to Bob in that moment. So I don't have to drink, so I don't have to do something crazy. Yeah. So this whole, this just, to exert this will to power without anger or attack. I mean, we all want to do it, <laughs> but then we get so, I gotta, you know, it's then we gotta do something. <laughs> I gotta be somebody. I could have been a contender, <laughs> you know. And and then all this guilt comes flooding in about what we didn't did or didn't do, instead of just turning to the other guy and saying, "Please help me see. Please share with me this experience of seeing." And I think that pulls the rug on the anger and 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 the, and the attack. And then oh, then the next line without seeking to destroy the world or myself. <laughs> Man, how many times did I run to some addiction, which was basically destroying me because I knew nothing mattered. I knew nothing worked. Without destroying the world or myself. 
I can't blow up the world so I can at least kill me slowly. Maybe I'll feel good while I'm doing it. I mean, just just that, that sentence alone is like, oh my God, how do I do this without anger or attack and without seeking to destroy the world or myself? Man, <laughs> that's some wherewithal there. You know that's what's happening. You're willing to ask for help for sure. Mm. All the while recognizing we cannot get to where we wish to go without first coming here to this point of moving from the camel to the lion without being so angry, ticked off, depressed. I mean, and I think that's what the Course shares with us, this, this very practical, this very down-to-earth process where I, I don't have to stay, I don't, I mean, I can stay angry and certainly Tuesday morning, <laughs> I was looking, <laughs> I was looking to be pissed off. <laughs> oh, please, <laughs> give me a reason. But I mean, finally, when I prayed about what the original issue was, which was some person I was having a problem with, that totally evaporated and my whole morning changed. I went to the Al-Anon meeting at a great meeting. <laughs> I was even able to share with other people, please help me see we're already okay. We don't have to destroy the world or ourselves in order to be okay. Hmm. Yeah. Whew, that's enough for one night. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so anyway, we'll get through this book, I swear, <laughs> one way or another. Is that okay, Sakina? Are you okay tonight? All right. <laughs> All right. All righty. Let's, uh, anybody have any closing thoughts or comments, please? <laughs> I'm on, uh, page uh, 84 in the workbook. We'll do tomorrow's lesson. Once again, in lesson 52, we'll do paragraph two. I see, tomorrow's lesson is, I see only the past. That's what the ego does. <laughs> As a camel, that's what we see. As an ego, that's what we see. The past insists separation is real and in the world, at least, as a camel, it's not my fault. It's what the world's doing to me internally. I'm okay. It's my fault, but at least I pulled it off. At least I pulled off the separation. So I see only the past. Externally in the world, I see the past. And internally in my wrong mind, I see the past. I believe separation is a done deal. I believe sin, guilt, and fear. My sin, guilt, and fear are alive and well. So, and he says, you know, as I see only the past, as I look about, I condemn the world. Well, I have to. Look what the world's doing to me. It's making me angry. It's making me depressed. <laughs> it's making me want to attack it, change it, fix it, etc. I call this seeing. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. <laughs> and let me tell you why. <laughs> I know what the problem is. I call this seeing. I call this understanding. I call this being right is what it means. <laughs> I'm always upset for the reason I think. And then line four, you know, the, the zinger, I hold the past with what my friend told me that time. I hold the past against everyone and everything. She told me I learned people's history so I could use it against them. <laughs> I think I, I don't even think I was in the course at that point. <laughs> How'd she know that? <laughs> I hold the past against everyone and everything, 
making them my enemies. However, when I get in that, to that second step of forgiveness and I've forgiven myself and remember who I am, the Holy Spirit will show me not only who I am, but who you are, who we are together. I then bless everyone and everything because I realize they are me. I will bless everyone and everything. And then that's what I see. They are me. And then line six, there won't be no past. There's no enemies. <laughs> and I will look with love on all that I failed to see before. As soon as Bill Wilson said to Dr. Bob, I don't care whether you drink, you gotta help me not drink. <laughs> then they were they were friends. They weren't enemies. They didn't need to attack each other. Bill didn't have to judge Bob because he still wanted to drink, and, and Bob didn't have to judge Bill because he wanted to stop. <laughs> they were okay. They saw each other. Yeah. Dave Van Dyke, you want to read that paragraph too? We'll get quiet for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> are you on Lesson 51? Page 82. 52, 52. 52, okay. Tomorrow's lesson, I see only the past. Okay. <clears throat> As I look about, I condemn the world I look upon. I call this seeing. I hold the past against everyone and everything, making them my enemies. When I have forgiven myself and remembered who I am, I will bless everyone and everything I see. There will be no past and therefore no enemies. And I will look with love on all that I failed to see before. Alrighty, thanks Dave, we'll get quiet for a little bit. And gently, gently, <clears throat> much gratitude to all of you for helping me see I'm okay. <laughs> and you're okay too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Tim. And everybody else. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.